Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. If you haven't already done so, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, please. The cleanest section of your whole Bible. <laughs> Leviticus, third chapter, third book of the Bible. You'll find it on page 154 in that book rack Bible. Everybody's Bible open, please. Last week, we started a new series. We're calling it The Way of Holiness. And that's what this book is all about. It's about the way of holiness. It's an amazing book. It's the least read book among Christians, I'm convinced. It was the most read book among God's people of the Old Testament. And the reason being was that the whole first part of the book is about how we approach God, a holy God, How does a sinful people approach a holy God? Chapters 1 through 16 and chapters 17 through 27 is all about how our worship of a holy God translates into our daily lives and the difference that makes in our lives. The central passage of the book is Leviticus 19.2, which states, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Sounds simple enough, perhaps, but not so simple in many ways. That refrain is repeated six times in the book and in various nuances. The point is that God wants us to be like him. God desires that we be like him. And this book is a worship manual for just how that happens. Uh, It's a a book pointed at the Levites who carried out the regulatory elements of worship in the Old Testament. We said last week that this book is all about Jesus. Uh, Don't Uh, relegate this book to antiquity and irrelevance in your life because this book on every page is about the life and work of Jesus Christ. He is both sacrifice and priest. And as we get to know him in this book, we see that uh, while there are shadows and foreshadowings of things to come, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. As an overview, I'm arguing that The way of holiness is essential for our worship, our wholeness, and our witness. Our worship, meaning our upward relationship with God. Our wholeness, meaning who we are as individuals, the key to our wholeness. And then finally, the key to our witness, the peculiarity of our lives in Christ as God's people. Now, if you weren't here last week, we said that the way of holiness begins with focusing on God. And we centered in on the tabernacle, that that uh, tent of meeting where Moses had heard from God at Mount Sinai on how to build it and what it should look like and what should be a part of it. And we'll just put a picture up there. This is an artist's rendition. There's no pictures in the Bible. Uh, if you have a picture, um, it's just an artist's rendering. But uh, about 150 feet long by 75 feet wide was the outer court. Uh, you would come through the curtain there and into the center of the, of the uh, outer court, which was where the brazen altar would be, and that eight by eight by two feet tall uh, altar where the burnt offerings were brought, the sacrifices were made. Uh, following that, the priests would wash there at the basin before going into the holy place, and that tent there is the holy place. We called it that movable epicenter of God's presence. This was the symbol of his presence in the Old Testament. And later, Solomon would build a uh, temple uh, to, to replace the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. But just to get the concept, remember Moses had heard from God on the mountain and God told him to build this structure and everywhere Israel was to go, that 
tent of meeting was to be among them. And in fact, they were not to move out from their camp during those 40 years unless the fire or the cloud by day or the fire by night moved. And sometimes they camped in one place for literally a day or two and other times they would stay for a longer period of time. And God was working out his purposes and processes among his people. And for 40 years, wherever they camped, right in the center of that camp was the tent of meeting. Now you can imagine, I suggested last week, what would it be like if God moved in next door? What if God was right among you, no longer on the mountain where only Moses would go, but actually moving along? And as we went, so went the tent, the the place of God's dwelling. And so today we come to a very hefty section in this book. I gave you homework last week to read chapters 1 through 7. Now come on, how many read chapters 1 through 7? Did some of you? Good, all right, about 10 of us. Great, well listen. (laughs) Now I think there were a few more than that. Um, If you read the first seven chapters of Leviticus, today's sermon's probably going to make a little more sense to you. Uh, If you didn't read it, uh, you might do a little catching up because some of the stuff we're talking about today is is not easy for us. And the reason why is we're we're not bringing sacrifices like they were to the tent of meeting. Uh, Nobody brought animals in today to sacrifice, or at least I hope you didn't. Um, That would be a problem. We're not used to this. This We're not, not accustomed to this. But but there are some beautiful images that we see in these offerings. And just some observations as soon as you get into this book and you read the first seven chapters, which, by the way, de- uh, develop for us a picture of five sacrifices that the people of God were supposed to bring. And we get to chapter six and seven. It's all about how the priests would use these sacrifices or how the, the rules and regulations around actually making or bringing these sacrifices. And that's what's in the first seven chapters of the book. And all of these sacrifices have meaning uh, for the people of God. They also have meaning for us, and I hope to reveal that to us as as we walk into it. As we sort of launch in today, the point of all this, I believe, is that what we're really talking about is what God is looking for in our hearts when we come to worship him. And and where that starts is, is admitting our need. I find that the, the hardest thing for all of us to do is to admit our real needs. You know, we can walk by people on Sunday, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. But deep down inside, there's some real needs going on. There's some problems we're experiencing. There's some issues that we're struggling with. And it's hard for us to admit that. We have a prayer room out here that every Sunday we invite people to come to. And a lot of times we walk right by there and back out into our busy lives because we just, we can't admit our need. We can't tell anyone that we're struggling or we've got an issue going or, or we, we have a need to praise God and, and we're kind of shy about that too. And we're really not very good at admitting your need. And one of the things that you'll read about in the book of Leviticus that these first seven chapters, I believe, show us is the importance of admitting our need to God. And these five sacrifices are a way we do that. So if you're taking notes, we're, here's where we're going to jump in. I'm going to categorize the five sacrifices I'm going to add one more that's mentioned later in the book. So literally six sacrifices. I'm going to categorize them in three, uh, three offerings, the, the way we come to God. And, and I think you'll see where we're going as we jump into this. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we need to offer God, which represents our need, is that we need to offer ourselves. Just say, offer ourselves. Say that with me. That's where it starts. You see, the first need that all of us have is to be fully surrendered to God. And the sacrifices of Leviticus chapter 1 and chapter 2 
are about offering ourselves to God. We see this in the burnt offering, we see this in the grain offering, and we also see it in the drink offering, which I'll mention in just a minute. But let's first talk about this burnt offering for just a minute. Write that down. The, the burnt offering is one of the offerings an Old Testament worshiper would bring to demonstrate recognition of my need to be surrendered to God. When we talk about surrender, we talk about commitment, devotion, dedication, consecration. Everything in our lives needs to be presented to God. And that's what the burnt offering was about. As soon as you write that down, burnt offering, I'm sure some of you are thinking about the dinner you had this last week, maybe. You know, have you ever had that, you know, where it just kind of goes up in smoke? Well, Uh, the burnt offering was a picture of total and complete dedication. The cue to its meaning is found, look at verse 9 of chapter 1. The priest is to burn all of it on the altar. If you have your own Bible, you might want to just circle the little word all there because this is an offering that it all gets burnt up. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. We'll come back to that little phrase in just a little while. But did you get that? All of it is to be burned up. This is a picture of a worshiper's total commitment to God. Now notice in verse 4, chapter 1, look there, verse 4, he is, this is the priest, he is to lay his hand, excuse me, the, the worshiper is to lay his hand on the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Now this is the language, you find it throughout the book of Leviticus, this is the language of substitution. Say substitution. When the worshiper brought the animal to be sacrificed, he placed his hand on the head of the, of the animal and in doing so, this was a way of transferring or substituting what the need was in his life onto this animal. Now this animal was going to then be uh, cleaned, it was going to be butchered, and then it was going to be placed up on this altar, and for the burnt offering, it was going to be completely consumed, absolutely completely consumed. And this depicts complete commitment, nothing left over. The worshiper saw himself being placed on the altar of God, completely consumed for God. This is a beautiful picture of worship. And by the way, I can't think of a This may sound a little strange being on a Father's Day that we'd be talking about the sacrifices of Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, but I don't know of a more important thing for any father to bring to God than total, complete surrender to God. I mean, if you want to be a father that honors God and and does the best you can for your family, you need to be bringing the burnt offering to God, and the burnt offering represents the fact that that all of our lives, not just little pieces, not just little cuts and tucks here and there, little pieces of the pie, but that it all goes to God. And by the way, if you're looking, if you read through Leviticus 1, you saw that it didn't matter how wealthy you were, you could still bring a burnt offering, like in all the other offerings too. If you couldn't bring something from the herd, a lamb or a goat, uh, you could bring a, a bird, a dove or a pigeon. You, you, could do, uh, you could even bring flour if you were that poor. You could bring something that would be consumed on the altar. And this is a picture of the fact that it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have, God wants all of us. And, and by the way, the way you decided what you brought was what you would bring would be the highest possible quality in line with what your means was as a worshiper. In other words, you didn't, if you were wealthy enough, you didn't bring a pigeon, you brought a goat or a lamb or even a bullock to the Lord because it was a picture of 
whatever. It was the most expensive thing that you could bring that you would consume. You lay your hands and say, this is a picture of my full commitment to God. And that's a beautiful thing. You're saying, God, here I am. Here's all of me. I hold nothing back. I'm yours, Lord. I'm all in. Now, thankfully, we don't have to bring an animal to say that to God. Why? Because Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is the perfect substitute. And I kind of have a feeling like when you look at the New Testament, you see this picture come up. Remember when Jesus talked about the widow that just brought her two little coins to the Lord? Well, that, that's a picture of, of the burnt offering. She didn't have much, but what she brought, she brought to the Lord. I've got a dear friend of mine who was very involved in this church when he retired uh, out of the fire department. Um, he got involved here for about the last year before they moved up to uh, the mountains into the Sierras and uh, up to their place up there. And, and, and around the time he retired, he came down with a really strange condition. This guy was so fit, physically strong, and he came down with some weird physical malady. I can't even pronounce the name of it, but it, it sort of goes after the nerves and muscle structure of your body, and, and uh, now he's having trouble walking. Um, I mean, this is a guy that could ride his bike 100 miles and get off and not even be breathing hard, you know. And so every time he comes down to see a doctor, I meet with him and his lovely wife, and we often have prayer. We've prayed and anointed him. We've asked God for healing. And right now, he's learning that God's grace is sufficient, but he was telling me one of the last times I talked, you know, one of the things he's learned to do up in the church that he's become a part of up there in the mountains, they have this ministry called the Do-Wooders, and people donate you know, wood to the church, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm knocking down a tree on my property and you can have it. And then the do-wooders go and they, they cut the wood and they split the wood and they store the wood. And when it gets ready for, you know, to be burned, then they give it out to people that are poor in the area that don't have heating and that kind of thing. And so he was telling me that one of the, you know, he was so active doing that when he got up there, but now he just goes, he sits on the splitter. He might be able to, you know, move the splitter movies still he's a strong guy but his limitation but I just think I think about the burnt offering I think about God I'm doing all of what I can do for you and I'm not holding anything back he's surrendered his life he wants to serve the Lord hold your place in Leviticus 1 and go to chapter 6 just for a minute because when you see how the priests were to carry out these uh these sacrifices it strikes me that in chapter 6 verses 8 through 13 Three times in that little paragraph, we have the fact that the priests were to make sure when it came to the burnt offering that the hearth would remain burning continually. The fire was never to go out. See that in verse 9, see that in verse 12, see that in verse 13. Keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. And I think that that's a picture that God wants to remind both priest and people that when it comes to giving a devoted, you know, everything to God, God wants that all the time. And so maybe just as a little sermonic, you know, little nuance here, how do you keep the fire burning in your life? How do you keep it burning in the sense of, God, I want to be on fire for you today and tomorrow and every day. And sometimes we have experiences that are great. We might go to camp as a student. Those are beautiful experiences. That stokes the fire in our lives. Sometimes getting to church, that's kind of a stoking of the fire. But, but really, God says not every Sunday and only Sundays. It's every day. It's 24-7 that this picture of the burnt offering is a reminder to us that we need to be all in with God. Isn't that good? Isn't that practical for our lives? Secondly, we want to talk just briefly about the grain offering. 
We move now to Leviticus chapter 2. The grain offering, some of your translations call this the meat offering, which is really a, a confusing thing because there's no meat in this offering. It's, it is grain. Uh, King James uses that, I think, because the kernel in the husk was called the meat, and so it's a meat offering. Um, some translations call this the meal offering, and even some say the cereal offering. I, I, those don't sound right to me. Uh, cereal, I, I picture Wheaties or something, you know. But it's okay because really the grain offering had, uh, and, and by the way, the grain offering could be uh, brought in numbers of ways. It could be fine, fine flour, oven-baked cakes. I see this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Uh, cakes baked in a pan, cakes baked on a griddle, or crushed roasted heads of new grain. Lots of ways you could bring this offering. But the interesting thing about the grain offering was that it was a supplement to the burnt offering. So whenever you brought a burnt offering, you always brought a grain offering. And whenever you brought a fellowship offering, which is what we're going to talk about next, you also brought a grain offering. It was a, it was a supplemental offering. And what, what we believe that the, the offering uh, represented was, it was what God had allowed us to produce, we bring back to him. You see, with an animal, we didn't produce the animal. But with the grain, with that which comes from the field and becomes our sustenance, we bring that back to God. And that's a beautiful picture it's interesting, maybe you notice when you read through the first seven chapters that there's not a lot of explanation about even what these offerings mean. So we have to deduce this from a number of ways, the hermeneutic of looking at it in the bigger part of Scripture, where whenever a burnt offering was offered, what was going on. Uh, obviously, these were things that made more sense to the children of Israel living in the day than they mean to us. But it strikes me that, that there's not always a reasonable enough explanation to satisfy my questions. Have you ever had that experience as you read through Scripture? But what I think God is saying to us, and just I'm just throwing this out here, is sometimes it's like God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to bring to me. This is the way I want you to do it. And we say, okay, God, why? And here's God's answer. Because I said so. <laughs> now, if you're a parent, you know what that's about. Because your kids will always want their questions or your instructions to be validated by a rationale. And it's okay, I'm not putting down rationale, but sometimes a parent, you say, you're not going to understand this, this is not something you can you know, digest right now, I'm just telling you, this is what I want you to do or this is what I don't want you to do, and that's the end of the matter. And when it comes to the Old Testament offerings, I think we've got a little picture of the way God sometimes says, look, I'm going to tell you to do something. I want you to do it. You'll say yes to me, and when you ask why, I'm going to say because I told you so. Because, and that's, that's God's prerogative. doesn't have to tell us why. doesn't have to give us all the rationale for why. But what I see in the grain offering is this picture of, of perhaps this idea of what God has allowed my hands to produce. And so, so I, okay, I'm just thinking about different, because it all belongs to God, wouldn't it make sense that I would bring back to him what he's allowed me to produce? That would certainly include monetary gain, uh, income. Uh, there's a picture of stewardship here that whatever God puts in my hands, I, I use for his kingdom work. I think of a guy named Sherman who who's a hairstylist who supports and helps out our cross streets ministries by providing haircuts for people that can't afford to go to a barber shop. So every Saturday he's up here cutting hair because he's been given the skill to do it, so he's just turning that back. I think of another friend that had the, a pilot's license, and when he heard about the opportunity of missionary work, he, he eventually used that skill that he had acquired to work.
work with Mission Aviation Fellowship. I think of doctors who go to years and years of training. They become very skilled in what they do, and they donate weeks, months, and more oftentimes in a global picture to, to minister and help for people that, that cannot afford medical care. These are some of the ways that the grain offering might be seen in our lives. What do you bring to God? These are, by the way, these are all dedicatory offerings. These are spontaneous. These are things I realize I need to be committed. I need to be surrendered. I bring a burnt offering. I need, to be, uh, I need to bring what God has put in my hands. I bring a grain offering. And again, remember, we're not talking about literal offerings. We're talking today about what these offerings represent. There's another offering that's not mentioned in chapters 1 through 7, but it's mentioned in 23, and I'm just giving it to you here. We'll come back to it probably later in the series, but it's the drink offering. The drink offering, which is found in 2313, uh, is, is basically the idea, it's a supplemental offering. You brought wine in relation to the size of your animal being sacrificed. You poured it on the altar when the altar was burning, and it, it completely vaporized in the heat of the fire. It's a picture of total and complete surrender to God. It's a picture of being consumed and vaporized under the purposes of God in our lives. I think Esther, when she went before King Xerxes with her question, who could have easily found her way on the guillotine, uh, was offering a drink offering to the Lord. She was saying, my life is God's. If I die, I die. Or Daniel, when he wouldn't bow to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, but he still prayed and was still honoring to God and, and, uh, and so forth, well then uh, Daniel was in a way bringing a, a, a drink offering. A drink offering just represents the fact that um, if, if my life is expended for God's kingdom, then that's the way it is. Philippians 2.17, you remember the Apostle Paul said, he said he was already being poured out like a drink offering. And he said it again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.6. And said of Messiah, Jesus, Isaiah 53.12, that this Messiah would pour out his life unto death. These are all references to the drink offering of Leviticus. So we see this burnt offering, grain offering, drink offering. And basically, the worshiper, whenever these offerings were offered, given to the Lord, would be demonstrating complete and total dedication to God. Now, if you're taking notes, these offerings point to Jesus as the greatest example of a life given to God. How many agree with that? Say amen. There's nobody more committed to the work and the will of God than Jesus. I mean, while Jesus was on earth... It is said of him that Jesus said, here I am, I have come to do your will, Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, if you have your Bibles quickly, let's go over to Hebrews 10, everybody, everybody, Hebrews 10, see if you can beat me there, Hebrews 10. If you're there, say amen. All right. Speaking about Christ and the sacrifices, and by the way, you read the book of Hebrews and it's like, it's Leviticus language all the way through. Look at verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. 
Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that's the covenant, first covenant to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, how often? Once for all. So Jesus is the perfect substitute for the dedicatory sacrifices. He is the burnt offering, the grain offering, the drink offering all in one. And because of his one sacrifice, it brings relevance and beauty to the commitment we have to say, God, use me too. I'm all in. Everything in my life, I want to be like Jesus. Total commitment, by the way, always pleases God. When we give ourselves to God like this, if you're taking notes, just write this down. It pleases him. It pleases him. Back to Leviticus chapter 1. Um, notice in Leviticus, and it's, it's throughout the first few chapters, this recurring phrase, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. See it in verse 9, verse 13, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 2, 9 and 12. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now God isn't physical. God's not up there going, oh, I love the smell of that offering. That's not the picture. But the idea is, is it conveys the fact that this kind of sacrifice pleases God. And I can only liken it to the way it feels like when you, when you catch an aroma of 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 a meat on a barbecue. Are you following me? Today a lot of us are going to be barbecuing for Father's Day. And, I, when you, and since I've been studying Leviticus, again, every time I smell a good barbecue, I think, oh, this is what the people of God were experiencing. Because when they brought their offering, it was, it was a big hunk of meat on a, on a big altar of fire. And sometimes, which we're about to see, with the fellowship offering, it was actually a meal that they shared together. You can imagine how the aroma sort of like wafted through the camp. And remember, the people of God, they didn't have lots of livestock to use when they were out in the wilderness wanderings. So when you brought a piece of your livestock or one of your, one of your sheep or goats and you said, this is a burnt offering, or you, or you brought precious grain and you burn it unto the Lord, it was a reminder that, that uh, this was something that was beautiful to God. Sometimes when I'm walking my dog through our neighborhood, I, I catch the aroma of a, of a barbecue, and I just, I just feel inclined to go in and introduce myself to people. <laughs> now, if the language of this sounds familiar, it is, because the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, let's read that one out loud together. This is Romans 12.1. You know it, but let's read it. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now listen, if you've studied the book of Leviticus, which is, which is what you're doing right now, you could just put in parenthesis there, this is the burnt offering. It's talking about putting yourself on the altar and being fully consumed. So it's a very familiar picture and that's why Leviticus is so important for the whole Bible because References like Romans 12 make a whole lot more sense when we understand what they're about. So we, ad we admit the fact that our problem is, is that we don't surrender everything to God. Now, in your bulletin this morning, there's a little piece of parchment paper there. Uh, you can pull it out if you want to. Um, at the end of the service, which is not very long away, not far away, I'd like you to consider the offering you need to bring, and I want you to write it on, the, on that piece of paper. And you could tuck it in your Bible, or you could put it in your car, or on your refrigerator at home or whatever. I want you to think about 
What is the need? What do you need to admit to today? Is it a lack of surrender in your life? Well, then you need to bring the burnt offering, the grain offering. You need, to, you need to bring yourself to God. You need to say, God, it's not just a piece of me. You get everything in me. You get, you get my sex life. You get my finances. You get my relationships with others. You get everything, God. You, I am surrendered to you. That's what the dedicatory offerings were about. There's another thing we need to offer to God which points to our need that we have and that is that we need to offer our gratitude to God. Say the word gratitude. Now we see this in the fellowship offering. Chapter 3 now, Leviticus 3. And we see this all also over in chapter uh, 7, 11 through 21 where the priests actually carry out the fellowship offering. And, and the fellowship offering basically depicted, some of our translations call it a peace offering. It's the idea of knowing that I'm at peace with the God of, my, of the covenant. I bring an offering saying, God, thank you. It's a, it's a picture of gratitude. It might come on the heels of an unexpected blessing from God. Wow, Lord, I had no idea you would do this. And so we, we bring, the Old Testament saints were taught to bring a fellowship offering. Now here's the really cool thing about the fellowship offering. It was a spontaneous offering, but it was meant to be shared. It was shared with the priest. The priest got a portion of the offering, and your family and friends would get a portion of that offering too. It was the idea of kind of like, hey, come celebrate with me. I've got some great news. You know, we've been kind of bouncing around to some graduation parties because everyone's graduating, right? And uh, we walk into houses and there's a giant spread of food and the parents are standing there proudly with their kids as if to say, we want you to celebrate with us that soon our kids will be moving out. (laughs) Maybe that's not really what's going on behind those celebrations, but the idea is, is we are so proud, we are so happy, we are so thankful, and that's, this spread is an expression of our gratefulness. When God does something special in your life, celebrate it. Take someone to lunch. I want to treat you to lunch today because look at what God has done. Take someone to dinner. When you celebrate with someone, when you invite them over, when you break bread, the fellowship offering is an offering of communal joy. And by the way, for the church of Jesus Christ, there's no greater fellowship offering than the the bread and the cup that we share together as often as we do in remembrance of him. It's a beautiful reminder to us that we have been made, we have been given peace through the blood of our Savior. He is the substitute. He is our fellowship offering too. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This offering points to Jesus as the one through whom our peace with God has finally come. We see this in Colossians 1.19 in many places, but let me just, again, verses like this kind of stand out to me when you read Leviticus. Let's read it out loud together. This is Colossians 1.19. Ready? Here we go. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There it is. Something just very beautiful about that. Remember this past year, February, when we celebrated our volunteers and every Sunday we had that wood fire oven going out there? Pizza was being, you know, baked in there, and people would come out of church, we'd just see them. They just sort of kind of float over to the oven there. Something's going on here. There's a celebration going on here. Now, there's no mention of the pizza offering in the Old Testament. 
But it's the same principle. It's like come, come fellowship with us. Come enjoy with us. Come celebrate with us. Look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. We demonstrate, when we demonstrate gratitude like this, by the way, it pleases God. It pleases God. You see this in all the offerings. The writer of Hebrews captures this when he says in Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. You see, the telltale sign of a believer is gratefulness, thankfulness, praise. The telltale sign of an unbeliever is to withhold praise, to withhold thankfulness. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor did they give him thanks. That's a picture of an unbeliever. Until you can say, God, thank you. Thank you for trials in my life. Thank you for the blessings in my life. Thank you for the uptime, the downtime. Thank you, God, you are worthy of praise. And until we give, until we dispense gratitude in our lives, it reveals something dark about our hearts. But when God has come into our lives through his son Jesus, when we come under this beautiful umbrella of the new covenant because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, we come with our sacrifice of praise. And that should be as often as we're able. Burn offering, grain offering, fellowship offering. We offer ourselves to God. We offer our gratitude to God. And here's the last thing. I wish we had a little more time on this, but there's two more offerings in these chapters. There's the sin offering and there's the 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 guilt offering and what those offerings depict for us is that we need to offer our brokenness to God say the word brokenness the two offerings that an Old Testament worshiper would bring to demonstrate recognition of this was the sin offering and the guilt offering let's talk about the sin offering this is the biggest section in this entire part that we're looking at chapters 1 through 7 starts in chapter 4 goes all the way to the middle of verse uh, chapter 5 the emphasis here is on our, the offender's guilt before God. What these offerings remind us is something is broken. Actually, we are broken. And the offerer would come recognition, in recognition of our brokenness before God and he would bring his sin offering. And notice, I don't know, did you notice this as you read through these seven chapters that this word unintentionally happens a bunch of times? All the sacrifices that are talked about in these first seven chapters are for the offenses that are committed against God and others that are unintentional. I don't know, I look at that and I go, isn't every sin we do intentional to some degree? Well, it's really more like, kind of like you said something that you thought, oh, why did I say that? You ever done that? Or you did something rashly, just quickly, boom, and, and you go, ah, why did I do that? Or... You're a new believer. I talked to some new believers recently and they said, man, pastor, we had no idea that living together was not honoring to God. We want to get married. So we're making arrangements on that. Beautiful. It's like an unintended. I didn't set out to do this against God, to offend God, but all of a sudden, either through his word or through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm suddenly revealed that, that there's brokenness in my life. And, and by the way, whenever you experience that, that's the grace of God in your life. God is not a God of guilt and shame. He's a God that wants to show us that he has paid the price. He has met the need in our lives. You say, well, what about sins that I do intentionally? Can those ever be forgiven? Absolutely. 
And that comes in Leviticus 16 with the Day of Atonement. That's where all the sins that we do with a high hand, all the things that we did that was in rebellion to God is, is met on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And again, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. He's not only that, he's the guilt offering, he's the sin offering. This guilt offering, really quickly, the guilt offering was about when we were offensive to God or others and there was a need for restitution. You know, we ripped God off. I talked to someone recently that said, I've been a Christian for 10 years and have never, ever given financial gifts to the Lord. And I've calculated, and this is how much I owe God. Now we said, look, there's no legalism in this. If God's placing this on your heart, bless you, thank you. And they had worked out something. They were gonna, from the time they had come to know Christ, they wanted to bring their offering that represented a tithe from all their earnings in the period of time that they had become a Christian. Wow. Now, that, that's not something that I'm telling them to do. And I, and I told them, that's, that, don't go legal with that. Don't go legalistic. But this is the idea that, God, I have cheapened you. I have ripped you off in some way. This belonged to you, and I kept it. I did something for myself. And so the guilt offering had the idea of restitution. It's like when you damaged, you borrowed something from somebody. I had that one time. A guy borrowed my truck, brought it back. Oh, sorry about the big dent in the hood. Sorry? Hello? You know? But he didn't see it that way. It was like, hey, you know, it's to be you. So I gave that to God. Okay, God, it's your truck. You know, whatever. So I, every time I got in that truck, I saw the big dent in the hood, you know. And God reminded me, hey, when you borrow stuff and it doesn't come back the right way, you should make sure it comes back the right way. That was the guilt offering. And the priest, if you read this in chapters 1 through 7, you saw that the priest was the one that umpired whether the restitution was enough. He kind of looked at it and said, oh, I'm sorry, you're being a little cheap on that. You need to you know, take care of this a little bit better. Sometimes there was a 20% lift, Leviticus 7, 20% increased on the restitution just as a way of saying, wow, I really blew it here. You know, restitution is important. When you, when you do something that offends somebody and it costs them, restitution. That's, God is big into justice. It's a big part of, of the Old Testament and New Testament. So, these point, again, these offerings point to Jesus as the one through whom our sins are atoned. It all points and comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, he's, our, he's the one who forgives. He's the one that brings full restitution. He not only forgives our sins, but he gives us all the blessings on top of that. And you know what? When we offer, when we admit our brokenness to God like this, it pleases him. How many times in this section it actually says, he'll be forgiven, he'll be forgiven, he'll be forgiven. I've underlined it every place in my Bible, starting in chapter 4. I see it there in chapter 4, verse uh, 20, 20, I see it down in verse 26. I see it over there at the end of chapter 4 in verse uh, 35. I see it in chapter 5, verse 10. I see it in chapter 5, verse 13. I love the fact that, and it's down in chapter 5, verse 16, and down in verse 18 too. I love the fact that God reminds his people that, look, when you come with the right heart and you bring your offering, guess what? Psst, it's done. Forgiven. It's the language of of First uh, John one nine for the New Testament believer, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's not even the offering of the Old Testament that God was looking at; He's looking at the heart of the people. You could come and just bring an offering, but if your heart wasn't right, God wouldn't accept the offering. 
So thankfully, because of what Christ has done, we can come. And if our hearts are right, the offering is always right because Jesus has paid the price. He's, he's met every single one of our needs. So what's our need? Our need is to be fully committed. Our need is to be fully grateful. And our need is to be fully pardoned. We need, we need commitment, we need gratefulness, and we need restoration in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us today hold back on admitting those things. And the way of holiness is being able to admit your need. And when we read about the sacrifices of Leviticus 1 through 7, they're all just a beautiful picture of finally coming to the Lord and saying, God, you're right. I hold back from you. I'm not grateful to you. And there's something broken in me that I'd rather just try to fix by myself. But God says, no, I provided the way. Here's the sacrifice and you come to your priest. And for those of us who are in Christ, Jesus is the priest and he's the sacrifice. And today, if you've never opened your heart to him, come to Jesus and experience his life in you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As your heads are bowed, we're gonna have just a little bit of process time right now. And I want you to think about that little parchment piece of paper. I want you to write down over these next few minutes the offering you need to bring to God. And I want you to put it somewhere prominent where you'll think about it during the week. Or it'll be a reminder to you that maybe it's yourself you need to offer, maybe it's your gratitude, or maybe it's your brokenness. And whatever you offer in the right spirit, God meets you because he, through Jesus, is the perfect sacrifice. So Lord, have your way in our hearts right now, Lord. Speak to us, each one. And may the, the few minutes we have left in this service be a beautiful way to meet with you. And may we sense the smoke of these offerings going up and meeting you with a pleasing aroma. And may we be assured that these things are atoned for in our lives through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.